Last week we started uh, kind of like a new series. Um, we call it the essentials. We do this from time to time when we talk about just essential things uh, that are to the Christian faith and essential things uh, being part of a church. Uh, and so last week uh, we talked about something called old wineskins and new wine. And if you weren't here last week, um, I, I'm not normally one to like, hey, go and listen to the sermon because it was great. Uh, but but to get, give you some context, uh, I, I would encourage you to just go to the website, thisgen.com, and uh, just go and listen to it um, uh, last week uh, to give you some context because there was some stuff in there uh, it, it, that, that's probably really good to know um, just in the context of what we're going to talk about today as well. But, uh, but we're going to continue in this uh, like mini-series today. Now, uh, Monday and Tuesday this last week, uh, there was a special day that went on. It was called Amazon Prime Day. So did anyone buy anything in Amazon Prime Day? And you want to raise your hand. Okay. So a couple of people. How many of you are Amazon Prime members? Okay, so a lot of you didn't, so you didn't succumb to the pressure of Amazon Prime. So I swore to myself, I'm not going to buy anything on Amazon Prime Day, and Monday morning comes, I'm like, well, let me just go and look at some of the deals and see what's going on. Uh, I didn't buy anything, but yeah, and and I swore, I'm not going to buy anything, I'm not going to come to the pressure of buying anything, I don't need anything, but I found myself like every couple of hours just getting on my phone, just seeing what the latest deals was, but I overcame. I didn't buy anything on Amazon Prime Day. Thank you. And uh, the amazing thing about this year, though, Amazon Prime Day has been going on for a while. This year, Walmart got in on the act. Target got in on the act. Even eBay got in on the act. Uh, Given all these great deals, supposed to be great deals for these couple of days, it's now become like Black Friday in July uh, or Cyber Monday in July. Uh, And it's funny that we that that we live in a culture where we are so uh, uh, we are so sold to everything that we do. People are trying to sell us something because the reality is, is in the day that we live in today, we live in a consumer world. We live in a consumer world that is full of endless transactions. Everybody is trying to sell you something. And so Amazon, they came up with this day that it's just for their prime members, the people who pay the $130 a year to be a prime member, that we will give these special deals to. But then they make millions and millions of dollars because everyone feels they're so special because they're getting a special deal. But the reality is, is we just live in a consumer culture where everybody is trying to make transactions, endless transactions. Everybody is selling to everybody from healthcare to stores to sports and to music. You are constantly being sold to and people are putting on the hard sell, whether you watch on TV or you listen on the radio or even if you just go to the grocery store. People are trying to sell you things all the time. And if you are an Amazon Prime member, then you may have felt a little special on Monday because you had deals that non-members had. But the reality is Amazon weren't looking at you and treating you special and wanted to give you a treat and giving you deals because you are a member. No, they are just working the system and they don't really care about you. They just care about moving their stuff and selling their stuff. And so you must say, well, what's wrong with that model? Well, if you are a business and you are trying to make a profit, there's nothing wrong with it. It's great business. 
trying to sell people and make people buy stuff that they don't even want. This, this is the problem. People buy stuff and it doesn't even change their life. Right, they buy it, and there was a lot of people who who maybe got some sort of device or something that they've been looking at and waiting for a deal, and they got it and they were happy. But I guarantee the majority of people who bought stuff on Amazon Prime Day, whether it was through Amazon, Walmart, Target, or eBay, they probably was just like, "Well, I didn't really need it in the first place." And then there's a handful of people who they're just like trigger happy with their, you know, buy now, buy now, buy now, and then they get the stuff and they're like, "Ah, uh, I wish I hadn't bought this. How can I return this stuff?" Right? Because we live in that kind of world, and businesses are trying to make a profit all the time. However, what no one's really telling you in the commercials or on these websites is that no one really cares about you, even though they say they do. See, this is what happens with a model like the consumer model. It creates motives that are selfish. The goal isn't about you, it's about the business making a profit. You get what you are told you need, not what you really need. Let's be honest, half that stuff, do we really need it? Probably not. Your life is not changed, it's not transformed. Transaction is not a transformational transaction. There's lots of noise about it, but there's little substance. And then what happens? We become consumers left with a desire to consume more. There's something about a McDonald's cheeseburger that to me, I eat it. I feel bad for eating it, but they've got some sort of crack in it, I think, that makes you just want to eat it more and more. And then you have a couple and you feel really bad and you're like, I've got to go and work out, but there's something in it that makes you want more and more. That may be not the case for you, but it is the case for me. It's the same with buying. When we buy something or we get a deal, we're felt with the need, well, I need more, more and more and more. And that's the consumer world that we live in, the consumer culture we live in. Well, you may say, Alex, why are you even talking about this? What's this got to do with Jesus? Well, this is what it's got to do with Jesus. Because we live in a consumer world, and right now, I think the way that the church is in the Western world is moving to one big prime day. It's this consumer world that we're living in, and instead of the church changing the world... Often what's happened is the world has changed the church and this consumer world that we live in is now crept into the church. See, the problem is for a lot of churches, the focus of the church has changed from taking the kingdom of God into a broken and dark world to instead about becoming a place where what is offered and sold is now the main determination of whether members will continue to come and new people will come. Because that's the world that we live in today. See, what is happening is we are seeing a lot more transaction than transformation happening on Sunday mornings. People attend and choose to attend a church based on what is offered and what they like. Now, we live in this consumer world. I'm not saying that, you know, you go to a church that you don't like. Because if you don't like anyone in that church, then you're not going to be a very good asset to that church. You know, if it makes you feel worse going out than what you came in, 
that's not a place that you want to be. That's not a place you want to be, that gives life. However, what many people now in, in, the, in the Christian world are calling this kind of church, they're calling it the consumer church. Now, we don't like that word. That word doesn't sound very good at all. But a lot of people are calling it the consumer church. And the reality is, is the consumer church is nothing like the teachings of Jesus. The result of the consumer-centered church is that churches are growing, but communities are dying. Programs are getting bigger, but our communities are getting darker. See, we live in a world that is getting darker and darker and darker. And while churches are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, it's not translating into communities that are being changed. Into communities that are being changed. And so there's something that isn't right with that. If churches are getting bigger, then shouldn't the communities start to change and transform as well? So let's take a look and see what Jesus says about all this consumerism. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20. If you haven't got your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25, Jesus is teaching his disciples about serving others. And this is what he says. But Jesus called them together, his disciples together, and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give of his life as a ransom for many. Now, Let's move a couple of books of the Bible over to John chapter 13. And again, Jesus is saying this in John chapter 13, verses 12 to 17. Jesus says, just to give you some context, Jesus has been in the upper room. He's washed his disciples' feet. It's kind of like a cultural no-no to do that. Only the servants should wash feet, not the teacher, not the rabbi. So Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. And this is what he says. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I am doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are no greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So in both these instances... Jesus is basically saying this, the way of the kingdom of God is to be a servant, not to be served, right? So he's washing his disciples' feet and they're all up in arms, Jesus, what are you doing? And Jesus is saying, let this be an example to you. It's not like Jesus is saying, Christians now must be feet washers. So notice when you came this morning, we didn't wash your feet because it's 95 degrees outside and you got stinky, sweaty feet. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. It's an example. 
Jesus is saying, let this be an example to you. I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to actually uh, take on the posture of a servant. And he says, as I have done, you do also. And this Jesus model is the very core of our faith. And this is what I think I can sum up the Jesus model as. What can I do for you, not what can you do for me? What can I do for you, not what you can do for me? This is the message of the kingdom of God. And it is almost foreign to the culture we live in today. As our culture has become experts at the transaction, so too the church experience is in danger of becoming transactional. That many churches are either setting up their programs in the way that they do church to feed the transaction. So this morning, this is what we're going to do is we're going to look at three transactions that I see in the local church. Some of them are new, that have been like around for the last 20 years. One of them has been around for the last 18 centuries, but still what I call a transaction. And there's a reason we're going to look at these transactions. So the first one, the first transaction that I see that happens, especially in the contemporary church today, is this. I call it the church volunteer. The church volunteer. So in Peter chapter 1, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, Peter says this. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he has and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you, will be at, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Now let's go forward a few verses then to verse 10. And Peter says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So here, Peter is saying that when we give of our lives, we give it all. He's, he's taking on the motto of Jesus, we are a servant. But each of us have been given a gift. God has gifted you in different areas. And he says, so use them well to serve others. Use them well to serve others. The word volunteer has become ingrained in the Western church. Get a bunch of church leaders together. And I talk to a lot of my pastor friends and different church leaders. And we all ask the question, where are you struggling right now? What's the hardest thing that's going on right now? And I guarantee 80% of them will say this. We just don't have enough volunteers. We don't have enough volunteers. How do we recruit and train more volunteers? How do we keep volunteers? See, recruiting and training volunteers has become an art. And those who do it well, they thrive in the transactional church. See, this is what we do. We tell people, and people like me who preach from a pulpit, we tell people, it is good for their soul to volunteer. 
In fact, we don't say it like this, but this is really what we're saying. Jesus loves you more when you volunteer. That's not true, by the way. In a roundabout way, we tell people, you know what? You will be more fulfilled when you volunteer. However, volunteering is transactional. The problem is, is that volunteering is not biblical. They didn't volunteer in the early church. And volunteering, I don't believe, is transformational. And we've been called to be transformed people. Don't get me wrong. Everyone should be doing their bit and giving their time and helping out. Right? If we're a church and we're a family, the family of God, then in a family, the person that annoys you the most is the ones who never do their chores, right? You know, if you've got kids and you've got maybe three kids and you've got two of the kids who are perfect angels and they always pick up after themselves and they'll do stuff and then you've got one who never does, it's like you just want to beat that kid all the time, right? You know, I mean, I don't know if you do or not, but. But as a family, we have chores and we do things. But that's different to being a volunteer, The problem is, is this, volunteering is a choice. Volunteering means I have come to help out. Now compare this with the model that Jesus taught. He said this, and they're strong words. He says that his followers are servants, even slaves to sin. Now, we wouldn't use that word in today's language because nobody would be in church. But the reality is, is that he says, no, you're not just volunteer your time. You are a servant. You are a servant. Peter says that we're to even suffer for him. We're to give our lives for him. Serve one in each other well, Peter says, with the gifts that we have been given. Now, last week we talked about the program church where programs have been the core of how the church functions. But let me ask you a question. If Peter's right, and and the Bible talks about using your gifts, what if there's a church program that no one is gifted to do? Do we still do that program? Right? What if we were a church and you all had my musical talents? Should we have music? No. What? This is what we do. We all put our headphones on. We all have our own little worship time, right? If you had somebody who, we had a church full of people who couldn't put two sentences together, couldn't make sense, then would we have teaching? Should we have teaching? If we had people who just could make tea and couldn't make coffee, would we offer coffee? No. But yet in this program church that we live in, in this kind of day, we need it, right? Because that's what draws people to church. We need this stuff. The reality is this. Volunteers come and go, but servants stay. Volunteers give time limits. I'll give you an hour of my time. Servants, according to the Bible, give their lives. Volunteers wear a badge of honor. I volunteered so many hours this week. I gave this much time, even though I'm so busy. Do you know what servants do? Servants just bow their heads in humility. 
Volunteers build houses. We got a, a letter this morning from Habitat for Humanity. Haven't read it yet, but I guarantee this is it. Hey, we need some volunteers. Volunteers build houses. That's a great cause. It's a great thing. But this is what servants do. Servants change communities. Servants change the world. You have been gifted for the purposes of God. Not gifted to volunteer your time, but you've been gifted to help the kingdom of God be established here on earth, to make what is dark light again, so that people who are far away from God can see Jesus. So use your gifts to serve one another, and then when transformation happens, because it does when we're using our gifts, then the kingdom of God comes. So that's why I think the church volunteer is just a transaction. The second transaction I see a lot in the church, and this is the one that's been going on for about 18 centuries, and it's called the professional clergy. The professional clergy. My brother is a Church of England clergy. He's just about to become, he was a curate, and now he's become a vicar, and he wears all these robes and all this crazy stuff. And he is like so, he loves that stuff. He loves all the, the, the tradition and everything. I got nothing against it at, at all. But the problem is, it's not biblical. Look what 1 Peter 2 says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. Peter says this. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people when he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you trust him. So, yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. Then Peter says this, they stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet their fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, Peter says, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. There's two terms that church experts regularly use. And the term is this, clergy and laity. Clergy and laity. Let me just tell you what those mean, basically, when church people say that. The professional and everybody else. Clergy and laity. The ones we put on a pedestal and everybody else. Try to find these terms in the Bible. Clergy and laity. You're going to be looking for a very long time. There's no such thing as a clergy. Actually, the first 200 years of the church, there was no such thing as clergy. How clergy basically happened was, was this. 
The, the way a church was formed was there would be an apostle like the Apostle Paul who was a traveling apostle. He would go from city to city and he would start a church. He would start a gathering of people and then very quickly then they would appoint some of the more mature believers or the people who, who, who were able to, uh, you know, not, not go off the deep end. And there would be a group of them that they would appoint and they would help to facilitate the church, Right. And as the church grew, they, they would facilitate it. Well, after about 200 years, the church started to say, oh, those people who were put in charge, we call them elders. We're going to elevate them to a position. In fact, we're going to start saying that they're the only ones who can teach in church. To the point where even the church started saying, well, those are the ones, the only ones who can even give communion in church. None of it's biblical. It's just church tradition, how church tradition has been formed over the years. But in the early church, there were no pastors, there were no directors, there were no bishops, there were no priests. For this was a grassroots movement, organization that was transformed by the Holy Spirit. And over the centuries, we had a distinction between the professional and everybody else. But this is so anti the message of Jesus. And we don't question it today, it's because that's all we know of church. But this is how the kingdom of God works. Paul, Peter says this, there are priests. And that priest is you. That priest is you. It's not someone who's been ordained, it's not someone who's been to seminary. It's, it's not somebody who wears certain clothes. That priest is you what Peter tells us. It is called the priesthood of all believers. A priest in the Old Testament was the one who offered the sacrifices up to God. Then they would be the one that would minister to God on behalf of the people. And in the kingdom of God, as a priest, it's not about paying a professional to do the work of the kingdom for you. You've been called to do his work for those who are yet to make Jesus Lord of their lives. By this, by giving of your lives to his work and through your good deeds. So you won't hear this in that many churches because the majority of people teaching are the paid professional. But paying a professional clergy was never part of the early church. Now, I'm not against the church paying people. But having professional clergy was never part of the early church. And this is why, because when you pay somebody to do something, you expect them to do it and you not to do it. If you are lucky enough to be able to pay someone to cut your grass, I envy you. But this is the reality. You pay that person so you don't have to cut the grass. In the church, we should never be paying people to do stuff that we should be doing. And that's the problem with professional clergy. I think we need leadership. We have people who are gifted in different areas, in teaching and in preaching. I believe that. We have people who are gifted in administration. But there's no such thing as a professional clergy. See, we've been called to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And the problem with a professional clergy, we are having a transaction with that clergy. And what happens when that person doesn't do the job that we want them to do? 
we get rid of them and we find someone else. It's a transaction. And very quickly this morning, finally, the last transaction that I want us to talk about that I see a lot in the church today is this. I call it the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule. In church, you hear about it a lot. Uh, the 80-20 rule is this. 20% of the people are doing the work for 80% of the others. You hear it in the business world as well. And in the business world, you'll often hear it uh, like this. You know, uh, 20% of your clients basically are, are providing 80% of your income. So what a lot of business people are saying now is this. You should spend 80% of your time with the 20% who are giving the most. And then you should spend 20% of the time with 80% of the people who aren't giving the most in the business world. And, that, and I've heard church leaders even say that about people in church as well. The 80-20 rule. And you see it a lot in churches today. But what does the Bible say about the 80 20 rule. Well, Colossians 3 verses 12 to 17 tells us this. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who forgives you, offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Then he says this, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Notice what Paul says. He says that we are to, we're one body and we are to teach and counsel one another. See, if the professional clergy role is gone, then who is responsible for doing the work of the church and the work of Christ? Who's going to take care of the programs and the buildings and the music and the kids' areas? Do you know what Paul says in Colossians? We're all responsible. We teach and counsel each other with the wisdom that God has given. We work in the giftedness that we have. See, the 80-20 rule is abundant in the transactional church culture. For there are always a small committed few who will work tirelessly to give to people what they want. But I wonder if we ever thought, what does the Holy Spirit want? See, the 80-20 rule sells to the 80 while leaving the 20 tired and exhausted. And you see in churches, you see it in church after church. Yet, if we are to be who Christ desires us to be, then we should be a community that transforms and gives life and breathes life, not takes life. So what does the Holy Spirit want? Well, this is what I think the Holy Spirit wants. The 100 rule. Where everyone is doing their part, working in how God has gifted them. 
See what Paul says to the Colossians, that you are to teach and you are to counsel each other, that you are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together. We're in this together. Kids ministry is the biggest loser in the transactional model. And this is what happens. We take our kid to kids church, hoping that a church volunteer can teach them about Jesus. And then we really never talk about Jesus the rest of the week. And then when that child or that youth then decides, I don't want to follow Jesus as they grow up, then very often people point to the church and say, well, you just didn't do enough. Because it's a transaction. I'm taking my kids to kids' church so that you can teach them. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says as a parent, it's our responsibility for the well-being of our children. Teach the child in the way that they shall go, and when they're old, they will not leave that path. But then also as a church as a whole, not just a few volunteers, as a church as a whole, it is also our responsibility to help them parent that child. 100% rule. So I want to leave you today with three questions to think about and pray over in your life. Because as a church and as our leadership, we've decided we don't want to be a transactional church. We could do all the things and we can have good services and, you know, we can grow the church, you know, and do different things. But the reality is we've been called to transform, not transact. And we're just not happy with transactions. Because what happens, the next best thing comes along and it takes our attention. The next prime day comes and we forget about what we bought the last prime day. But when transformation happens, lives are changed, families are changed, marriages are strengthened, and communities are totally transformed from darkness to light. So these are the questions I want you to pray over today. The first one is this. Am I a volunteer or a servant? Am I a volunteer or a servant? Second question. Am I a consumer or a priest? Am I a consumer or a priest? And the third question is this. What am I doing with my gift to destroy the 80-20 rule. What am I doing with my gift to destroy the 80-20 rule? So this is what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads in prayer. And this morning, if any of those just touched you and you're like, you know, that's me. You know, I am more of a volunteer than a servant. I give my time and I feel good about it. But the reality is, I'm not, kneeling down and washing people's feet, figuratively speaking. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I am that consumer. I am that one who comes and buys what you're selling. And if something better comes along, then I'm going to buy that instead. I need to be a priest. I need to take on responsibility. I need to realize that God has looked at me with 
despite my faults and failings and looks at me and sees me as a special person, as a chosen person, as someone who is royalty. Or maybe you're one of the 80 and you're letting the 20 serve you but you're doing nothing to destroy the 80-20 rule. And you know that God has gifted you in areas and you're just not using those gifts. But if, if any of those are touching you today, then as I pray, I want you to pray, God, firstly, forgive me, but then help me. Help me to be a servant. Help me to be a priest. Help me through the working of the Holy Spirit to be part of a 100% rule where everybody is doing their part. So let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that as normal individuals, that you have called us to the greatest mission this world has ever seen, and that is the mission of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that even though we have faults and failures, God, even though, Lord, we're not the professionals or we're not perfect, Lord, you look past all that and you see something incredible in us and you say, I need you, I want to use you. God, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your glorious light for your purposes. And so this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray in this place that you will help us to be true servants. Help us to take on a servant heart where it's what I can do for others, not what others can do for me. Help us in this place, Lord Jesus, to become true priests where we will do the work of Christ, the work of, uh, 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 of the mission of Jesus Christ, the work of the kingdom of God, that we won't rely, God, on others, but we will take responsibility and we will be servants and give our lives to you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to use our gifts that we will work in order to make sure that there is a 100% rule. That the 80-20 rule is not even part of our culture here at Generation. Lord, that we will serve you with all our might and with all joy. So Father, we pray that you will help us. And God, we ask in return, we ask as we serve you, that transformation will happen. Lord, that we will be transformed, as your word says, by the renewing of our minds, by changing the way that we think. That our family will be transformed by what you are doing. That the people that we meet each and every day, the people at work or in school or even in the marketplace, God, that we will see transformation happen in their lives. So Lord, help us to be a church that isn't a transactional church, but help us to be a church where there is transformation and life in this place day after day amongst these people day after day.
So we ask of you, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you all. Have a great week. Go knowing that God has gifted you for His purposes and that God wants to use you in amazing ways. God bless you. We'll see you at 4 o'clock at the Hannah's house, once Meadow Spring Drive. Bring a side dish and dessert for our summer party. Bring a bathing suit because you're going to need it today, I think. So uh, God bless you. We'll see you later.